0: So many of you here this morning on a a long weekend, that's great, beautiful day, Uh, and uh, for those who are listening online uh, and you decided to, you know, uh, hang out at the cottage or the beach instead, we just want to say we're jealous, but we're glad that you're uh, listening in and spending some time just putting God's word in your heart, you know, uh, electronically, Uh, it's good. Um, just want to say that it was, uh, it was good to be away. Uh, I haven't been here for a month, actually, and uh, I know, it, uh, it wasn't all vacation. I'm not Pastor Holiday. I just, uh, just, you know, for those who want to call me that, but uh, uh, it, it's just really great to come back. I, I, I miss you guys. I, I really did. When I was out, you know, on the East Coast uh, driving around, I was like, man, you know, where are we going to find a church to go to And it's going to be like Kingsway? And you know, it, you, just, you guys are something special, and I uh, just want to say thank you for that. Uh, I, the last day I was here was my birthday, and you guys threw a party for me. And to be honest, I wasn't really excited about that. I, I usually love my birthday. I usually, it's like, man, like a month before it happens, I'm like dropping hints to everybody. You know, my birthday's coming up. You know, it's right after Canada Day. You can't miss it. Big party. And then there's my big party, right? Uh, and, and, and love it. And this year, I don't know. Like, I was like getting close to, because I turned 40 this year. And as I was getting to that time, I'm like, I know, shh. Don't bring it back. The depression is lifted finally, you know. But I was a little bit—I was a little bit depressed, and it was weird for me. I'm like, oh, you know. I thought, man, not that life's over, but you know, it was this this sense of. This, it, it hit me. I'm not saying it should hit you or anything like that, but it was just, it was a strange thing for me, and, and uh, I, that day, you know, I was like, I just want to get through the message, just don't anybody say happy birthday, and let me just go on vacation, and then you guys had cake, and you sent cards, and I'm like, tears in my eyes as I'm reading these amazing cards as we're driving. Beth drove from here to Toronto so I could read the cards, and I drove the rest of the 4,600 kilometers, uh, but, but it was that first, first hour, seriously, it was amazing to me. Like, the stuff that you guys wrote in those cards, even the cat cards, thank you for those. It, the, the words, you know, my love language is words of affirmation. You can never give me enough of those, and it really ministered to, to my heart, so thank you for that. And my second love language is Tim cards, so for all of you who sent those... Thank you. That helped make the journey amazing. Uh, and, it, you know, I'm just really grateful to be a part of a church family that, you know, when I'm away, it doesn't matter, right? There's, there's people who join the church while I'm away. So some of you, uh, I should stay away longer, you know. It's, uh, it, it, it was, uh, it's good. But having some of those, you know, incredible guest speakers here, I'm just really thankful to Gary, to John Edelman, if you're listening, and to Brian Bunting, uh, just for sharing God's Word and, and doing an excellent job with that. It was really, really great. And you know, I was excited to come home and for the baptism service, people, you know, giving their lives to christ and 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 walking through the waters of baptism and obedience damn just just another just amazing thing my my uh, my month has been good you know this this first month of 40 because as i was thinking about it, i'm like uh, i don't know about you but it really made me think about life uh that that turning 40 made me think about uh, about it and i remember years ago well not that many years ago a few years ago my buddy howie and i turned 40 and he's like you know what He's like, I'm just going to make this the best year of my life. I'm going to go like on mission trips to Guatemala. I'm going to go to Mexico. I'm going to go to Peru. I'm going to go do some things. I'm going to go ride a dog sled up north. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that too for my 40th year. I'm just going to do it on a Dutch budget. So, you know, I'm going to go to Caledonia. And I'm like, you know, no, just kidding. I'm going to go to the East Coast. And uh, it was uh, amazing to travel out there for the first time. Uh, my friend actually flew me to see the Jays play in Boston, which was a really great. Th- yeah, that was a pretty great present. Uh, and then they got to try lobster rolls for the first time and the last time. It was tasty, but the price, my goodness. Uh, and then, you know, I did my first destination wedding. I flew to St. Saint, St. Saint Marie for uh, to do a wedding. It was just pretty, pretty awesome. So, like, 40 has been, been amazing. But, you know, as I, as I think about the last um, time I was here, uh, I shared something with you guys. You know, do, do you remember what the last thing I shared with you before I left on July 2nd? Ah, uh-huh, yeah, let me check the notes. Uh, I didn't expect you to, but was really interesting, uh, the last thing I shared with you was a quote by the name uh, of a guy, uh, his name is C.T. Studd, and you know, I thought this quote was for you guys, and it's this, it's this quote, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last, but you know what, that quote wasn't really for any of you, so it doesn't matter if you didn't remember, it. it was really for me. As I left and was away, this thing just, just was in my head this whole time that, that what, what's, only what's done for Christ will last. And I've been thinking about that for the past month. You know, um, by the time I hit 89, because I'm at least living to 89. That's my favorite number. Got to make it there. So I'm not even halfway through life yet. But I was thinking, when I hit 89, what am I going to look back and say, wow, those are the things that really mattered in my life. You know, those are the things that, that I did for Christ. Those are the things that I did with my life that are going to last. By the time I head into eternity, whenever that is, who's going to be there with me? Because of what I did with my time here on earth. It's only the things that are done for Christ that will last and as I was out there, I was reminded I have a job to do. It wasn't because I was on vacation thinking I have to come home. I know you think this is my job, but, but um, this, is like, this is like the best thing in my life, is to be able to, to serve in this place. But God's given me a job to do. He's given us a job to do. And we hear the word job. It's just not that exciting of sounding of a word, is it? You know, like, yeah, you have a job. I looked up the definition of job, and it says this. It's a paid position of regular employment. That, doesn't even, that sounds boring even on its, on its own, right? It's like this boring thing. But then I realized, you know, God's given us a job to do, but he calls it a mission. And when we hear a mission, there's something about the word mission that gets us a little bit more excited. Why? Because it's an important assignment. It's not a job. It's an important assignment. It's a strongly felt aim. It's a strongly felt ambition or calling. And he's given me one of those. And I was reminded of that. And the thing is, he's given us as Kingsway that. He's given you individually a mission. And so over the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about this word mission. Uh, It's something I'm thinking about, challenged with, and I want to encourage you with it as well. Uh, You know, when it comes to, like, the word mission versus job, there's something about that word mission that intrigues us. Uh, It's why, you know, the movies make so much money when they involve a mission. Uh, I I don't know if you remember this movie, Saving Private Ryan. It was the the mission to save one man. And this movie made tons of money because it was like this, this, whether it's based on a true story or the fact that it was this... um, Mission to save someone, people flock to see this movie. And then this year, you know what the, the big movie of this summer is? Yeah, I know, you can all read. All right, so it's, it's Dunkirk. It's this, it's this huge, um, this, this, this movie uh, with a mission to save 400,000 men. And it's already making tons of money because people want to go see this thing of seeing a mission accomplished. Uh, And then there's, of course, all five Mission Impossibles, which just doesn't make any sense that you can complete five impossible missions. Then they're not impossible. But uh, all these missions, you know, this, this movie alone made in the billions of dollars just in this franchise alone. And you know why? Because they know that people are going to keep coming to watch it. There's a sixth, um, a sixth Mission Impossible coming out next year, which is pretty exciting. Uh, and and actually, I just heard that Tom Cruise will be doing all of his own wheelchair and walker stunts in that movie. So it's pretty. It's going to be worth seeing. Um, but but the the Mission Impossible. You know, we we see the missions, um, at the the movies ending with completed missions. That's why we go see them. No, nobody wants to go watch a movie where you know in the in the. Halfway through the movie, it's like Tom just, just quits, you know, like, yeah, you know what? I, I hung onto an airplane, I climbed a building, but, you know, I just can't beat that woman. So, you know, it is impossible. I just give up. I quit. Roll the credits. You know, they, nobody's going to go watch another mission movie if that's the way it happens. Because we want the hero to win. If the hero dies, that's not a really exciting mission. And so, if the hero quits, it's not a really exciting mission. And so, we're going to talk a little bit more about that last week when it comes to us. But today, I just want to simply talk about the greatest mission ever accomplished. And that was the mission that Jesus came to save the world. The mission that has been uh, accomplished. And sometimes I don't know. I'll, thanks for the amen. Because sometimes I don't think we're excited enough about what Jesus came to do for us. And if this was a movie, it'd be a strange movie. Because, you know, this, this hero that these guys are like, yeah, man, this is amazing. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He's our superhero. And then he dies. And for them, it's like, you know, game over. But what's interesting is, because he rose from the dead, they're like, whoa, this, this is different than anything. They began to write down all the stuff that he said beforehand. And so John, uh, if you just want to turn your Bible to the, to the letter of John, John was an eyewitness follower of Jesus. He, uh, and, and sometimes we don't, we don't picture that, but can you just go back with me for a minute to 2,000 years ago, John, the, one of the best friends of Jesus, standing at the foot of one of these, a cross. Well, his best friend was hanging there, bleeding, suspended between heaven and earth, people mocking and jeering, all the smells and sounds around it. And there's his best friend. See, we see this, it's got like pretty flowers and it's clean. That's not what it looked like. And, he, and here he is at the foot of the cross watching his best friend, his superhero, the one who he was following, Hanging there, wondering, you know, this isn't how it's supposed to end. And watching his best friend die. Just picture your best friend for a minute. Maybe it's your spouse. Hopefully it is. Maybe not in this illustration. But if you picture them hanging on a cross. Man, it grips you to, to realize this is full, full of emotion. I don't know whether the other disciples weren't close enough. But we know that Jesus and John had conversations while he's on the cross. But John's actually the only one who records what Jesus' final words were on the cross that day. It says in John chapter 19, verse 28, you can read along with me. Jesus knew that his mission uh, was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. See, Jesus knew the whole time what was going on. It says this, a jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips, which is something that that was prophesied, you know, hundreds of years earlier. And that happened in that moment. But in verse 30, it says this, when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. The beginning, he says, he knew his mission was finished. But then he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. A friend of mine, uh, his name's Chris, he pastors a church in Clyde, Alberta, tiny little town, kind of like Balmoral, but in Alberta. And uh, he, I, I've been listening to him speak, and he talks about me. He didn't realize I'd be listening to his podcast, and so I figured I'm going to talk about him. He does this weird thing called the Word Nerd uh, during his services where he gives people this chance to learn how to speak Greek. So I actually thought it was kind of cool. And there's a Greek little word called, uh, I'm going I'm to try my best to pronounce it, I don't speak fluent Greek, but it's this To Can you say that? Tetelestai? Tetelestai, you just spoke some form of Greek. Uh, tetelestai is this word that, that's actually that phrase means it is finished. The thing is that when we, we write it is finished, it's kind of like the end. You know, it's finished, it's over. But that's not, you know, and it kind of makes sense when he said it is finished and then he dies. Okay, you know, life's over and he dies. That's not what that word really means. When The word tetelestai meant more than just it's finished. It meant it's ended. But it also meant is an accounting term meant, meaning paid in full. It's been paid in full. So when you had a bill back then and you, you, know, you paid your debt, they would write this word, tetelestai, on the top of your bill. It was paid in full. So the thing that's amazing when you think about that is Jesus, knowing that he's dying on the cross, not for his own sin, but for ours. He's not dying there because he's a rebel. He's dying there for a bigger thing, for the mission. The mission to come and save the world. The mission to pay for the sin of the world. The sin that deserves death. He's coming to pay for it, but he paid for it in full. That's the part we sometimes don't realize or don't understand, that he paid for my sin, he paid for your sin in full. You know how I know we don't fully understand that? Because there's so many Christians who walk around with all this guilt still. It's like, you know, you, you, stuff in your past, it, it's hampering you, it's hindering you. You like carry it with you all the time. Those bad decisions you made in life that, that now you're like walking through life and you feel the effects of it and you're like... Jesus loves me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so. But you're really inside, like, Jesus loves me this, I hope, you know. Like, uh, I know what I did last summer. Uh, you know I, know, I know all the things that are kind of behind me. And you know, so that, that enemy's voice, we all have voices in our heads, just so you can feel better about yourself now knowing that you do. You know, those voices in your head that speak these negative thoughts to you, these things of like, you know, that, that, that sin, it's been paid for in full. See, some, some Christians live their life thinking Jesus paid for their little sins, but they'll pay for the big ones themselves. You know, they'll beat themselves up emotionally. I don't know if it's ever been like that. You know, you, you commit this, you commit that sin. Now, one, that just seems to get you all the time. And then it's like, oh, man, you know, it's Sunday's coming. I, I got to go to church, you know. I gotta, maybe going to church will make me feel better on the inside, but you're just like, oh, God, I'm rotten. I'm just a loser, you know. I'm sorry, you know. And then you get to Saturday, and you're like, God, I'm never going to do that sin again. And then you get to Sunday, you're like, oh. Yes, Jesus loves me. I feel forgiven. And then Monday, you fall again, and you're like, oh, you know. I'm like, it's not Monday where you feel forgiven again. It's like, oh, I got, you, you just beat yourself up all week. Anybody else do that? I won't, I won't look, but I, I just got to have my hand raised sometimes for that. Because it's this sense of this guilt and this shame that we carry. And like, yeah, I believe God forgives the little white lies, but it's those big ones. God, I promise I'll never do it again. I know I've said that 175 times, but this time I mean it. I'm going to do it. And he's like, Would you stop making promises you can't keep? That's why I did this. Because I've already paid for that in full. Stop letting guilt, shame weigh down on you. That's been forgiven in full because of what Jesus has done. That's pretty amazing. Do you know that He didn't just pay for the sins in your past? For some of you, you look back and you're like, yeah, thank goodness my past has been forgiven. He's already paid for the sins of your future. And sometimes people are, like, worried when they say stuff like that. Like, Mark, don't say stuff like that. People are just going to go sin, you know, now. Like, oh, God's forgiven me? Free ticket to do all that I want to do because he's already forgiven me. It's true. It's true he's already forgiven all of the stuff that's ahead of you. But that doesn't make you want to sin. That makes you realize, wow, what an incredible, incredible sacrifice. John later wrote uh, another letter. Later, uh, he was an old man at this time. As he wrote this letter, he wrote to followers of Jesus, people who, also put their faith in, in the fact that Jesus died for their sin and rose from the dead. And he began to explain what that meant. He says, this is how it happened. That's what I wrote in my first letter, but this is what it meant. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. Why is he writing it? So you will not sin. He's like, I'm writing to you so you will not sin. That's, he says, but if anyone does sin, any, any, anyone's here? <laughs> You know, if anyone does sin, he says, you know what? We have an advocate who pleads our case before the father. Before you sin, he's already got it covered. He's pleading on your behalf before the father saying, father, forgive them because I already paid for it. Their bill might say they've sinned today, but that's paid in full, Father, because of what I've done on the cross. And it says he's Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Verse 2, it says he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Atones means it's washed away. He didn't just cover it over. He wiped it away. And he says it's not only our sins, but the sin of the whole world. Why? Because when he died on the cross, he paid in full. That's really good news for people like me there's been a real lot of mess-ups and screw-ups in my past, and I assume there's a few more in my future. But they're paid in full. When it comes to him, they are paid in full. Sin can only be punished once. And as they would have been hearing this, they would have known, you know, in Old Testament uh, time, sin can only be punished once, either by a substitute or by the person of themselves. And we have the same thing. It's called double jeopardy. It's not the game show with Alex Trebek. It's the uh, law that says that once you've been tried for something, you can't be um, tried for the same crime twice. What does that mean? That means if if he's already been judged for your sin, you don't have to carry the guilt of it any longer. When he said it is finished, that means it's finished. It's already been paid in full. You don't have to carry it. Sin has been defeated already on the cross. It's paid in full. Addiction, it's already been finished on the cross. Uh, You know, pain, suffering, death, it's already finished on the cross And you know what? We can and we should celebrate what Christ accomplished for us. We're going to celebrate communion today. We can and we should celebrate what Christ has accomplished for us. Why? Because the mission is finished. It's been accomplished. But that's not the end of the movie. If it was a movie, it's not the end of the story. If you look a little closer at John 19, verse 28, if we read it again, change the yellow to this. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. But our mission's not over our job, our mission's not over. You know, it's been finished. It's finished, but it's not done yet. It's finished, but it's not done yet. It ain't over till it's over. You know all the sayings, right? It ain't over till the cows come home, and it ain't over till the, well, politically correct, the big boned lady sings, right? So it, it, ain't, it ain't over yet. It, it's not over yet. Jesus didn't just die to save you and then zip you off to heaven. He left you here for a reason. Next week, we're going to talk about the fact of our mission in this, in this uh, job. It's the great co-mission, him and us. But I want to share something else before we get to there. And one of the reasons I believe that Jesus has left you on the planet is so that you get the chance to experience what victory feels like. That you get to experience what victory feels like. It's the, the thrill of freedom. Um. <laughs> Like, just because Jesus finished it on the cross doesn't mean that you're experiencing that right now. There's too many that don't feel that they've been forgiven. They don't feel freedom at all. They just keep living under this guilt, not realizing, to tell us, die, it's finished, it's been paid for. It's like when you teach your kids how to ride a two-wheeler. I don't know if you've ever done that, man. That's, that's some tough work. You know, you hold the seat uh, as your kid's pedaling, and then they pedal faster. And you're like, hold on, Dad, hold on, Dad, let go, Dad, let go, Dad. Okay, no, hold on, Dad. And, and you let them finally, at some point, you're running behind them, you let the two-wheeler go, right, and, the, and, and you know that they're on, their, they're on their own. And maybe that ends up with, like, a sharp right turn into the curb and faceplant on the neighbor's lawn. But other times it ends up with them going. And I remember that first time watching Max just go away from me, see the back of his helmet as he's, as he's heading down the road. I'm like, it's freedom. And then when they turn around, you know that smile on their face? You remember, right? Like, it's like that smile of, oh, I'm, exp- I'm really doing it, Dad. I'm really doing it, right? It's like the, experiencing freedom. It's one thing for me to say, hey, you're riding a two-wheeler and holding it, and be like, okay, that's it. Throw that thing in the garbage. You rode a two-wheeler. No, there's something about that experience of, I'm experiencing freedom. I'm experiencing the freedom. You know, for, for the men in this group, some of you may not like this. Some of the women may not like this, but it's the thrill of the kill. You know, when predators teach their young, yeah, from, from lions to barn cats, you know, when they teach their young how to kill the prey, what do they do? They go catch something, they half kill it, and then they bring it home to let their kids finish the job, right? They, they let the, they, they, the cat, I remember bringing the mouse, and you're like, I, are, mice are disgusting, but you feel sorry for them in that moment, don't you? Right, it's that little mouse, and they puts it there, and the kittens try to kill it, and all of a sudden that mouse, like, sees they're not busy playing with me, and zips away. What happens? Mom runs over, grabs the mouse, brings it back. And there the kittens go again, right? And I'm trying to find the jugular on the back, on the tail, right? The poor thing. It's like, it's this long, painful process. What's happening, though? They're learning the, they're learning the thrill of the kill. They're learning how to become um, predators. And as I think about that, you know, it's the same. It's, it's very similar in the fact that Jesus has destroyed Satan. That's what happened when he said his heel crushes his head. But that's what's happened. But he's given you the chance to live in that victory and realizing, you know what? He's under your feet that you get to live in the experience of victory in Christ Jesus. You're like, that sounds a little weird. Okay, don't take it from me. Read, read with me in Romans. Paul writes to this group of followers living in Rome. That was a terrible spot for them to be. Jesus' followers in first century Rome was really, really difficult. They were getting thrown to the lions. They were getting tossed into the, into the Colosseum to fight one another and different beasts. And Paul writes to them, if you read any chapter in the Bible, I'd say read Romans 8. It's the one chapter that just encapsulizes all of it. He writes them when all this stuff's bad going on in their life and says in verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we've got trouble, if we've got calamity, if we're persecuted, if we're hungry, if we're destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Does it mean he doesn't love us? And some of you ask that question, right? You just ask it differently. You're like, you know, man, I just feel like I can't pay all my bills this month. God, do you even love me? You know, God, I'm going through this sickness. The doctors say that, that this is bad. God, do you love me? God, my kids, they don't like me anymore. They don't come around anymore. God, I tried my best, but they just like I just feel this whatever division. God, do you still love me? Man, my friends at school, they make fun of me. They're picking on me. God, do you love me? Do you even care? Why aren't you making this stop? There's these questions we ask ourselves and Paul says to them, you know, does it mean that he doesn't love you for going through all this stuff? And I and I kind of changed it in my in my Bible, but in, in verse, not the words, just how it said, you know, and you see in in, this, in verse 37, it says, No. And for me, I just put it out in bold with all kinds of exclamation marks. No. Romans 8:37, no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours. Despite all the stuff that's going on, overwhelming victory is mine through Christ who loved us. Maybe if you're like, you know, old school and you, you know, remember the King James or New King James that said this, yet in all these things, no matter what I'm going through, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. More than a conqueror, overwhelming victory, what does that mean? That, that's like being at a basketball game where the score at the end is 147 to 5. It's like there was a game and they put up a fight, but they just got destroyed right? It's like the Blue Jays lately. These massive scores that are just, you know, it's like there's an overwhelming victory. Uh, and it's the same thing that, that God's just all through the Bible. You see these stories of, of he's saying, hey, it's like, it's like holding, holding the, the, the two-wheeler and then letting it go. You know, the children of Israel, they're in Egypt. They're in slavery. It's a picture of the world, a picture of, of, of prison, a picture of, um, you know, the, the, the slavery of the world. He says, um, he says to them, listen, I'm going to take you out of Egypt, and I'm going to give you this awesome land. I, 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 already, I already know, and he begins to tell them, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. You guys get to move into houses you didn't build. You guys get to, like, start harvesting gardens you never planted. It is going to be epic, and I'm going to give it to you. And they're like, yes, let's go. And so they leave Egypt, and they get to the land, and as they get to the borders of the land, he's like, okay. He says, I gave you the land, now go get it. I gave this to you now go take it. And you know it's really interesting, all these people who were so used to slavery, all people so used to the guilt, so used to the shame they look at it and think, "No, we can't have that for real. That might be for other people, but that's not for us. I'm a Christian. Hallelujah. I'm forgiven. I'm free." Why? Because that, that stuff was just so in them. They looked and like, send the spies. I'm like, we can't do this, man. There's like giants. They're like at least a foot taller than us. You know, the walls are big. And he's like, I gave it to you. Would you just go out there and go get it? And for them, they didn't do it. It, it happens today. People don't do it today. They didn't, they didn't realize it's been paid in full. I already paid for it. Now go get it. So they all died in the wilderness. But their kids are like, I'm not being like mom and dad. I Just go get it. And guess what they did? <laughs> they went and they took it. God was with them as they went through. They got to live in victory because he gave it to them. You see in the New Testament too, Jesus had this famous story where he's in the temple and the the Pharisees, the religious leaders bring this woman who they caught in the act of adultery and they kept her all night somewhere. And then early in the morning, they bring her to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, this woman, uh, she's a sinner, you know. She's caught in the act of adultery and Moses says we should stone her. What do you think we should do? Knowing that if he says, yep, you should stone her, all the crowds are going to leave him. And he stands there realizing he's got the law, but he's also geniusly says, you know what? Whoever doesn't have any sin, you throw the first stone. Remember that line, right? Like, Whoever doesn't have any sin, well, none of us would have ever thrown the first stone and none of them did. They all left and it's, it ends, the story ends with Jesus and this woman, just the two of them. And he, uh, he says to her, women, where are the people that condemned you? Where's the ones who accused you? Where are the ones who judged you? Where are all those people? I think he would have said too, where's the, where's the voices that are judging you in your head? You've got to imagine that in, in, in the sight of perfect perfection, she probably doesn't even need anybody else to say that she's unworthy. She feels it herself. And he says to her, you know what, where are they? And she's like, they're gone, Lord. And he says, you know what, I don't judge you either. I don't condemn you either. You know why he could say that? Because he knew he's going to pay for all those sins. He knew that they are going to be paid in full. He's like, I'm not judging you. And then he says this, so go and sin no more. What does that mean? He says, it's paid for. Now just go live in victory over it. Go live in the victory that I've already paid for. It's finished. Now go live in it. And so, you know, as you think about um, that thought, it's the same words to us. He says, you know what? I'm not condemning you. I'm not God in the sky with a big stick just waiting for you to sin. We're going to be like, (laughs) shouldn't have done that. You know you look at that stuff on the internet, I'm just going to fire you. You know, you, you be mean to your wife or whatever. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to make your car crash. You know, if you, uh, yeah, if you, you know, you, you did some of that stuff in your past, I'm just going to give you cancer. <laughs> A lot of times people think that that's what God is like. He's like, that, that's, that's not what this is about at all. I've, I've already paid for all the mess ups in full. You get to live in victory. Just go live in that victory. Enjoy the thrill of victory. Romans chapter 16, Paul ends his letter to the Romans with this thought. And it's pretty cool. Verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under, who? Your feet. He's going to crush Satan under your feet and may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. I don't, maybe you went to camp back in the day like I did and there was this song we used to sing and included this verse and the one before Romans 16, 19 says, you remember that? That was like the best song because later on it's like the enemy's under your feet and everybody's like, all the kids are like dancing like, yeah, Satan's under my feet, under my feet. And then they grow up and like, oh, you know, I don't know if I believe that. That uh, thing was true for them that he's crushed under your feet. We used to tell the jokes when we were kids, you know, why doesn't Satan have any fingers or toes? Uh, Because he's unarmed and defeated, right? It's like this really cheesy, cheesy line, but but it's a, it's these thoughts, we're like, yeah, that's, that's good, we believe that, and then you get older, and you're like, I don't know, man, like, I feel like he's just whooping me every day, like, I feel like I can't win. The truth is, the truth is, and I'm saying this for, for me, I'm saying this for you this morning, the truth is that it is already finished. Your struggle with sin your struggle with addiction, it's already finished. It's already been paid in full. For the farmers here, you know, it's like spraying Roundup on weeds. You know when you spray Roundup on weeds? When are they dead? Instantly. It just takes a little bit of time before that happens. I should have got this kind of weed spray from my driveway because this stuff is dead in two hours. You can see the difference. You know, I was spraying stuff on my weeds, and they look like that for like seven days. I'm like, what? You know, like... These are like super weeds in Townsend, right? And and yet, they're dead now. See, they were dead the whole time. The second we sprayed them, it was finished. Those weeds are finished. The second they got sprayed, it just took some time for them. There was some resistance. They had to give up. Why? Because it's finished. I remember the story of a man who was uh, in a cottage, probably not North America. Let's say he's in Peru. Doesn't really matter. He's in this cottage, and as he wakes up one morning, he looks out in his he looks out in his kitchen and he sees this, bu- this python, 25-foot python wrapped around his kitchen table. He's like, man, I'm not getting rid of no 25-foot python. So what does he do? He grabs out his gun and he shoots the python right in his kitchen. Puts a bullet right in the python's head. And then all of a sudden he hears all this sound, this thrashing and dishes flying everywhere. And he looks in and he, through the window and he sees the snake just throwing stuff all over the place, causing all kinds of destruction. But he knows it's dead. I shot it in the head. I know it's dead. It's just that resistance time is taking. You know what? It's the same with the enemy. When Jesus died on the cross, it says that he crushed the head of the enemy. He crushed the head of Satan, but he's putting up resistance. All that stuff that's going on in your life, all that negative, all that stuff, that's just him just still trying but to, to create as much damage as he can on the way out. But you know what? He's finished. It's finished. In your life, it is already Finished. So what about you and what about me? The guilt and condemnation that tries to come on you for past sins, it's finished. It is finished already. Not because of what you've done, because of what he's done. So now live in the victory. It's kind of a cheesy quote, but it's true. The next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. The next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Because he's already finished. Already finished. It may not be done yet, but he's already finished. The time, that when sin, that sin that keeps enticing you to take, you know, take the bait again to remind it, you're already finished. It's finished, it's been paid for. You are not my master. When addiction tries to, to, to grab onto you, you know with, whether it's alcohol or smoking or porn or gambling or whatever it is, it tries to grab you again, saying to you, "You know what? it's finished. It's already been defeated. My chains have already been broken and enjoy victory. Yeah, but Mark, how come it doesn't feel like it? Because there's still going to be resistance. It's still going to fight back. When Jesus said, I'm building the church, the gates of hell won't stand against it. It's because the church has taken on the gates of hell. And they're going to fight back, but they can't stand against it. The word of God is strong and powerful. It has to be in our lives that we would experience that. Because too often, what we experience is those thoughts in our mind. You know, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. You know, here you are smiling in church, but I know what you did. You know, you loser. You know, you you gambler, you liar, you thief, you porn watcher, whatever it is. You know, you divorcee, you cheater, you secret sinner. The enemy's so good at bringing those things into our lives. It's time that we just rose up with who we are and said, "Now nah, the truth is it's finished. It's finished, not because of me. It's, it's finished because of him. You're fighting from a, uh, from a position of victory. He's already won it. Now live in that victory. We're to celebrate communion this morning. I was going to ask our ushers to, to um, hand out the emblems. The cross reminds us that it's finished, but this also reminds us that it is finished. It's been finished. On the very night that Jesus was crucified, he gave his disciples this little, this little uh, visual reminder. sat around the table, and again, would you picture it? Here he is, breaking bread and um, handing around a cup of, of, of juice to his, or wine, whatever it was, to his, uh, to his disciples. Guess what? In that moment, he's saying the stuff like, you know, do this to remember me. And they're, they have no idea that that very night he's going to be hanging on a cross. They don't know that in that moment. When he says to them, hey, take this bread and take this cup to remember what's about to happen. I can tell you that this bread and this cup, those disciples didn't need this to remember what they were about to experience. They didn't need a piece of bread to remember that they saw their friend Jesus hang on a cross and die. They didn't need a cup of juice to remember that, that they watched his blood pouring out of his body. They, they, like you think of any traumatic experience in your life, you just never forget, right? It's like it's just there. You remember. So why did he give them this reminder? Because he knew there'd be some other followers of Jesus down the road who need to remember that it is finished. He knew that today in Kingsway, there's going to be people sitting here where the guilt, the condemnation, all that stuff from your past is all coming after you. And he simply wants to remind you that it's finished I've already done it for you. So, you know, the reminder wasn't just for the 12 men in that room with Jesus. And you know how I know that? Because Paul told the next followers of Jesus. And they continue to tell other followers of Jesus. So I just simply want to read two passages of Scripture to you as we finish this morning. 1 Corinthians 11, you can read on the screen. It says, For I pass on to you, this is Paul talking to these Gentiles. He says, I want to pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, The Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Not the 12 in the room, not just them, for you, for you this morning. He says, my body, Jesus' body, broken for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. Who, who's that? We, it's us. We're his people because he's redeemed us and called us his family. He says, this is an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time that you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. What does that mean? He says, every time that you, you do this, and it doesn't have to happen just in church. You can do this in your house. You know, you're going through a tough day where the enemy's beating you up. Just grab some grape juice. Maybe if you don't have any, grab orange juice. Grab a chunk of bread. Sit down and say, Jesus, I want to remind myself again of what your death means for me. It says you proclaim his death. What does that mean? You proclaim that it's finished. When you're facing guilt and everything, no, you know what? That's finished because of this. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me, that's over. When addiction just wants to rear its head in your life again, it's like, you know what? Nah, (laughs) it's finished. And I'm doing this to remember that he finished it for me. The disciples did this often from house to house. And you can as well. And, you know, it reminded me of the time just a couple months ago. We, uh, uh, my yeah, my niece was just, just I think, in her first round of chemo at the hospital. And and so we went to uh, Mac and uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law had said, hey, would you come? And, um and uh, we talked to him and said, hey, can we like, do communion? Like, yeah, and can you just bring your guitar? And can you just sing in the hospital? And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, that's going to be a little awkward, but sure. You know, So we went, we got a big bottle of or- uh, grape juice, and we got a big thing of bread, and we went to the hospital. And I sat there I was thinking, you know, which songs are we going to play? And, and uh, we, we got big cups of grape juice because these are like just teases. It doesn't matter how, how much you use. But we sat in that hospital room. And we just sang, and, you know, Music going through that whole cancer ward. But as we were preparing for that, a certain scripture came to my mind before I went there. And and I wanted to read it to you. We read it to them that, that day. And it's interesting because it was written 600 years before Jesus ever came to the planet. It was prophesying that this is what that would mean. This is what the cross will mean someday. And so I just want to read it to you because as you notice the words in yellow... On the screen, as we read, those are the things he did for you. Prophesied 600 years before, accomplished 2,000 years ago. May it be true for you today that you might experience it. It says this in Isaiah 53. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There's nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. There's nothing to attract us to him. Verse 3, it says, he was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with deepest grief. We turn our backs on him. We looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet, it was my weakness that he carried. It was my sorrow that weighed him down that day. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced from my rebellion. He was crushed for my sin. He was beaten so that I could be whole. He was whipped so that I could be healed. All of us. We know it. Like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sin of us all, including me. Verse 7, he was oppressed and treated harshly, but he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he didn't even open his mouth. He was unjustly condemned when he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, that he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Because when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He'll enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that's accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant, speaking of Jesus, will make it possible for many, many in this room to be counted righteous. For he will bear all, all, all their sin. Why? Because it's finished. And so today, as we take this little piece of bread, I want you to remember that Jesus said to his disciples then, and he says it to you, this is my body broken for you. It has been finished for you. Would you take it as you experience the taste of the bread in your mouth? Would you experience the freedom that that means for you this morning? And would you just thank him for it? It says afterwards, he took the cup. He passed it around. He gave thanks for it. He said, this is the new covenant. I've Done this. For you, you got sins that nag you down. They've been washed away, not covered over. Washed away. It's finished. It's finished. Would you live in the th- fact that it is finished? Would you take that with me today? Jesus, I thank you for that this morning. If I just think of my own sin, I could have ten thousand reasons at least <laughs> to thank you, to thank you for washing them away, for giving us hope when we feel hopeless. To be in the light when we we're in darkness. To love in us when we were not lovable. And to call us to your kids when we turned our backs on you. Jesus, thank you for the incredible price of your sacrifice for us. Help us not to waste that sacrifice by not living in the victory that you paid for us. Help me to do it today. Help each of us to just know that truth and allow that to set us free. And may we offer that to our world this week as we go from this place. The power of the fact that it is finished, paid in full. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. The words of that song, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Man, we have 10,000 reasons to sing. May we leave this place with those thoughts on our mind. And for some of you, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus this morning. I'd encourage you that it's that's on the, the table for you is that forgiveness. That as you think about maybe, maybe for you, like church is just sort of like a religious experience. And you didn't realize that he wants relationship with you. If you feel him calling on your heart today, I challenge you to answer that call. Just for those who call in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And you have the opportunity to do that this morning. Father, thank you again for this time. pray a blessing on each and every person as they head out this place. For you and with you. In your name, amen.